Good evening, everybody. Uh, this is Patrick Milliken from the Poison Pen Bookstore, obviously, for, for you online. And uh, it is a real treat to, to welcome Dwayne Straczynski back to the Poison Pen. Thank you. He's going to be talking about his uh, really remarkable new book, California Bear, which uh, resonates on so many levels. Um, and I'm really delighted to, uh, to welcome uh, Jen Johans uh, here to, as, as a special guest. Um, she's a film critic and does a popular uh, video podcast. Audio. Nobody needs to uh, record with my hands. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Called Watch with, Watch with Jen. Yes. <laughs> and um, so we'll, we'll, we'll just be tag teaming on the interview here. There's so much to talk about. But uh, we'll need you to use the mic just for the people watching. Yes. So, Jen, why don't you kick it off, and then I'll jump in as needed. Well, first, thank you so much for doing this. Um, last time, I, I think we bonded over French fries with Megan Abbott <laughs> over at Hotel Valley Ho, and we had a blast talking about crime books and our favorite authors. And I'm just honored that Dwayne wanted to do this. I love California Bear. He's been one of my Twitter followers for a long time. We have similar taste in movies. Yeah, and podcast fans. Podcast fans. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And so this is really cool. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you. Thanks for, um, you know, being here. I, 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 my idea for, you know, I hate reading um, from my own work out loud. I'm awful at it. I want to edit it as I read it. So I thought it would be much safer to do it in conversation with kind of events. And it's been great so far. I can lean on my much smarter friends to, you know, carry the weight of uh, these things, so thank you. Of course. So, how are you doing? How has the book tour been so far? It's been like honestly, it's like it's been like this is your life, Dwayne Swarzynski. It's like every you know, I was back in the East Coast for a few events, and that's where I grew up. And a lot of you know, friends from high school, grade school, college, you know, all all, all walks parts of my life. I thought, wow, if I die right now, it'll be a nice way to go, seeing all the you know people I've I've met over the years. You know, I didn't die. I'm here actually. So. It's, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's been fun. Although weird weather has sort of traveled with me. Um, there was the first snowstorm in Philadelphia in like two years when I was in town. Wow. That was awesome. Um, it rained like crazy here. <laughs> in. I thought the desert was kind of safe from rain, but nope. Um, I, you know, I was in Palm Springs last night. It was, I had to jump over a little river to meet my friend. Yeah, it was a little weird. And last time you had the biggest haboob that's in right. our history was, oh, wow. right? So I'm bad luck for any events, just so you know. Something will happen. Well, we're glad you made it <laughs> safely, for sure. Uh, hotels, stories. Uh, our friend Megan Abbott runs something on her social media, which is every hotel is a haunted hotel, because she's convinced, I think she's right, that, you know, murders might have happened, stuff has happened in hotels. So any weird stories, or you're staying in some good spots? Um, actually, in Palm Springs, I stayed at a place, uh, the Movie Colony Hotel. I'm sure that's haunted. It was a weird, like, it's been around since the 30s, I guess, and, like, old Hollywood stars would come out there and escape, you know, the studios and crash here. So it's the most absurd room. It was, like, two floors. It was much, you know, much more space than I needed. But I was like, yeah, I had some weird dreams last night for sure. I think dreams are indication of, like, a place being haunted. So for sure. Yeah, so I've had a lot of those I won't even get into them because I don't need psychoanalyze. But yeah, weird dreams in the old hotels. Yeah. Like, thanks for asking that question. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Jen. Well, this is your first solo book in several years. Yeah. It is a terrific blend of SoCal noir, detective fiction, true crime, and also the intensely personal. And you achieve all of that with humor and heart. So talk to me about California Bear, how you conceived it, and what it was like to write. Well, yeah, it's a 
a little bit of a story. Um, basically, I, I spent 2018 every day uh, waking up and doing a new idea. I thought I should like, do an idea a day in this journal. And one idea cro cropped up in March was I read a piece in the LA Times about a retired cop who decided you know, to spend his, his retirement freeing wrongfully convicted felons. So I thought, that's kind of a cool idea. And there's one story where he freed this guy, been in prison for like, I want to say 30 years. I thought, what was their first beer like after that? Like, how, hanging out, what's, how cool was that, right? Because I'm also mentally disturbed. I thought, what if the guy leans over and says, guess what? I did it. You know, like, what, what happens then? So that to me is like, oh, a little story journey. A month later, I was, um, went to an, a book launch of uh, this great, you know, the Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, about, you know, the Golden State Killer. And I went to an event in L.A. Um, Patton Oswalt, you know, um, uh, his widower, uh, was there to launch the book, which I thought was, you know, A, incredibly brave and strong. I, really I couldn't fathom how doing that, you know. Um, but also, he talked about how when cops chase killers, the language they use is very romantic, oddly. It's like, ooh, he's the one, you know, ooh. I like him for this. It's a weird, like, you know, get really into this, this intimacy with a killer was interesting. So I tucked that away in my head. And uh, now is the sad part of the story. Um, <laughs> a month later, a month to the day after that, our daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, that was a big shock. Um, and, but, you know, we rallied and we thought, you know, we were actually spend, well, trade days in the hospital with her, you know, make sure she's never, never alone. And um, for me, my escape from anything that's sort of weird is, to write, honestly. I've always written my way out of any, everything. So I, I decided, okay, in the hospital, in the quiet moments, I'm going to start writing a comedic mystery about an ex-cop and an ex-con who decide to blackmail an ex-serial killer. Sounds like fun, right? Hilarious. You know, that's a sitcom premise. Um, but for me, it was a great escape. And I, I, I worked on that, you know, over the, the summer in bits and pieces, just to keep my mind elsewhere, you know. And I, the story I kind of populated with places that um, Evie and I had gone to when we first moved to L.A., she and I drove out ahead of our, you know, my wife and son to find a place to live, and we stayed by the beach. So all these places we stayed, all these happy memories in the book, they pop up in the book. That's where we stayed. I kind of want to, like, you know, go back to those happy memories. So uh, sad ending. I mean, uh, we, we lost her uh, day before Halloween that year, and I honestly thought, well, I'll never finish that book. I wasn't sure I could finish any book. My brain just kind of went blank. I didn't know if I would do this anymore. Um, the more time went on, on, though, I realized that writing, again, has always saved me. So I wanted to resume the book, not just to finish the book, but also be back in touch with her, you know, oddly enough. So it be her character, her, her spirit became you know, this character in the book. So I tell people it's a comedic novel about grief. Um, I'm not sure how that lands with people exactly, but <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, this is my, you know, uh, it's, it's been my sort of strange therapy, but also a strange way of being back in touch with, you know, a really special person who I was lucky enough to, you know, be the parent of. Yes, absolutely. Long-winded answer. Apologize. No, I'm <laughs> glad that you, you did. And when he sent me California Bear, he sent a bookmark uh, in Evelyn's honor, yeah. the Evelyn Sorzynski Foundation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Evelyn Sorzynski Foundation, hashtag Team Evie. It's a nonprofit that you and your wife set up. Yeah. And do you want to tell them about that? Oh, because absolutely, yeah. Wonderful. I mean, in the hospital, um, one great thing that this is Children's Hospital Los Angeles had a great program called Literally Healing. And they kind of wheel this a, a, a cart of books by every day for the, this, the patients. That's, they get a free book every day, a new book, which sounds awesome. You know, and, and Evie loved that. She was a big reader. She loved that. So um, 
when we lost her, we thought, you know, wow, uh, we'd love to support that program because I think it, was, you know, it did a lot of great, you know, good, and I think she would be behind that. I, I really wish that, you know, we, of course we wish she were here, but also to here to run, run the book drive we'd run every year because she's much better than we are at it so, <laughs> and much more organized. But, um, yeah, every year we do a book drive, and folks from all over, you know, I think some of you have donated. I know some of you have donated, and it's kind of wonderful, you know, um, and every year it expands. And we bring more and more boxes of books to Children's Hospital and, you know, raise money to buy more books. So it's something that, you know, means a lot to us and our family. So, yeah, it's um, a way of finding something positive and something not, not so positive. Yeah. And you mentioned favorite California settings uh, yeah. when you drove out with Evelyn. Mm -hmm. And that is something I love about the book. I've been to L.A. three times in the last couple of years. I'm going to make him take me to the beach, <laughs> I think, him and Meredith next yep. time for yep. sure. And uh, so one thing that was cool was I noticed you giving a shout-out to my favorite bookstore that I've been to so far in L.A., which is the Iliad yeah. Bookshop in uh, in Burbank. So what are some of your other favorite places in L.A., the ones you wanted to, you know, immortalize? A great question. I mean, yeah. L.A. is full of bizarre places. When Evie and I came out to L.A. to, to move, her one rule was, like, okay, I want to stay at the beach, Dad, a couple of days. I'm like, done. We'll do it. So I'm online to find you know, the weirdest Airbnb possible near the beach, you know, that also wasn't like, you know, going to bankrupt me because uh, we were moving. So um, we found this great place called Patrick's Roadhouse. Have you guys heard of this by chance? No. If you drive down the Pacific Coast it's Highway. It's a real place, huh? Right, it's a real place. Oh, yeah. You describe it like it was designed by a five-year-old, like a shoebox. <laughs> I forget how you put it. It, it is. It's just like this sort of two-story green structure. Um, it's actually named after an actor, uh, Patrick Fischler, who I know from a Holland Drive. He's the guy who walks out of the diner and gets scared to death by the something behind the dumpster, right? I mean, yeah, that's, he's been a madman. Um, uh, Evie knew him from show she was. So it's, it's named after, oddly, Patrick Fischler. So this place is so great. I mean, I think a lot of celebrities do hang out there. It's a little quiet, you know, weird, on the way to Malibu kind of place. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a throne there. I'm not kidding. It's like, you know, for the man of iron. It's like he has a, he's in there so, mu so much that uh, he has his own throne, which is kind of awesome. It looks like a garage sale gone wrong inside. It really does. But uh, it's great food, and it was in you know, Happy Memories. It's a bizarre place. Eliad's a great you know, bookstore. I, someone pointed out to me that actually the book is full of food references, which yeah. I must have been hungry uh, while I was writing it because I didn't remember that being a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, L.A. Donuts you know. have a key role in this. <laughs> yeah. There's some donuts involved. I won't say why they're involved, but just, you know, for folks who haven't read it, that not to spoil things. Um, Amazing donut twist, I'm saying. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't order the bear claw. Pretty satisfying. No, thank yeah. you, thank you. I'm glad. Um, so yeah, places like that. I mean, I mean, I'm always, I'm, I'm still, I've been in LA for about almost eight years, and I'm still very much a, a tourist. I think trying to learn. It's a huge place. Yeah. It's a huge place to sort of take in and process. And I finally feel I've been there long enough to feel confident to write about it. You know, it takes a while. Well, true crime plays a part in this, and serial killers. What is your level of interest and knowledge? Why do you think readers are drawn to it, mystery fans? Have you ever wanted to solve a case? Is this like, <laughs> you know, are you going to figure out, you're going to do a Zodiac thing? Is that what we're getting? That's a good question. Um, no, uh, yeah, of course, you'd love to solve a case, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to solve a cold case. That's fun. Actually, I'm, I'm working on something now that it's not a cold case. I know who did it. It's more the, like, but it's more the... Why, why done it? Part of it that fascinates me. I have a, a long story short. My grandfather had a cousin who was a cop in Philadelphia, a guy named Joseph Swarzynski, last name. 
100 years ago, he was gunned down by a gangster outside of a bar in South Philly. And um, that was just like, wow, I, I, I had no idea until like, you know, only a few years ago this happened. I looked into it, and the gangster who killed him, this is horrible to say, but I kind of like him. He's cool. He's just an amazing, colorful character. Like, he's the Joe Pesci of 1920s mob Philadelphia. And the more I look into it, the more I thought, wow, this guy's fascinating. It's a great untold mob story, but it's also a way of like, I'll be honest, when we lost Evie, I kind of was looking for the, to grab onto anything. And yeah. one thing I grabbed onto was like the family tree, almost like, okay, we came from somewhere for a reason. I, I, I was looking for these existential answers, right, to um, questions you can't answer. But the family tree for me was like a way into, it grounded me. And through that tree, I found, you know, th this branch of the family I didn't really know about very well. The cop who was killed. And, you know, this, this gangster, you know, who entered his life and ended it. Um, so I'm working on not – it's true crime. It's memoir. Again, I know who did it. But to me, it's like, you know, what was going on at the time that, you know, um, how these two people collide in uh, such a fatal way. So that to me, that's the why is – that's what fascinates me about true crime, the why. I'm not sure about you guys. I mean, you read true crime. Are you into it? And Love it. Yeah. I mean, what, what's the appeal? What do, you, do you ever think about why we're so weird and sick that we <laughs> – I hesitate to psychoanalyze myself. <laughs> I don't know what, if I'd like what I've found. But um, no, it's a safe space, that's right, for among friends. Um, L.A. in particular has this sort of tradition. Um, I mean, it, L.A. itself, as you know, is such a weird, apocalyptic yeah. in many ways landscape. Yeah. Um, and, you know, from Manson on to all these kind of roaming serial killers that yeah. We're in L.A. in the 70s and into the 80s, you know. Um, yeah. It, it is endlessly fascinating. <laughs> it really yeah. is. It is. <laughs> I remember, um, you know, when I was just a little tyke, we lived in Los Angeles, and uh, the Manson stuff was, you know, I was wow. like two years old or whatever. But, yeah. um, you know, just those creepy details about how during the trial, you know, all of his creepy followers would be outside and, Whenever Charlie did something, they all did it. You know, when yeah. he shaved his head, they shaved their head. You know, yeah. they put the X in their forehead. And but you know, L.A. was just, you know, and there's also that whole kind of occult underbelly of L.A. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. Um, you know, and and cult. You know, the sp all this kind of interesting elements: murder, sex, the yeah. occult. Yeah. All this shit comes. You know. Yeah. L.A., I mean, what's that great uh, Shane Black line about how in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang where it's that someone took the country and shook it by the East Coast and all the weird people fell down to California, basically, and the, the normal people hung on in the East Coast. So I'm not sure that's true entirely, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think people who do venture out west, you know, have something to prove, something to discover about themselves, something to, like, figure out. I don't know. I, myself included. I, I'm one of those weirdos who loves California and loves the culture of it. Not the cult of it, the culture, I think. It's, but, yeah. Jen, you, you're also a true crime-ish fan, um, maybe? I'm actually not, not a okay. true crime fan. I'm like one of the only women my age who <laughs> doesn't go to sleep watching Law & Order. Awesome. I know so many women that are like, yeah, SVU, man, that's how I go to bed. Yeah. I'm like, seriously? Um, that's no. good. Yeah. But, um, but I do love the idea of making sense because so much in life doesn't make sense. And I think yeah. that might be the appeal is trying to figure mm -hmm. things out or you see it on the news and you're like, well, why did they do that? Well, I'm going to figure that out. 
for sure. I think that might be. Yeah, the why done it honestly yeah. really fascinates me the most. Even in, in, in fiction, I can, it's more than why done it, not so much the who done it. You know, it's parlor games. It's, it's fun. It's a puzzle. But I love the um, you know writers who bring characters to life and you, you watch them. What makes them tick? That's to me is like okay, you can really feel someone. Their, the wheels turning in their brain. That's to me the the cool experience for sure. with a novel. Well, you're a big reader, so for fans of your work who are curious to what to read next, that okay. kind of thing, types mm -hmm. of books and authors that inspired you. I know we talked about you were bringing books with you on the road. Yeah, <laughs> Elmore Leonard, who is my favorite. I actually got yelled at in high school by my creative writing teacher who didn't understand why I was wasting my time on Elmore Leonard. And <laughs> I wow. know, yeah, she's like uh, always praising me for my dialogue. I'm like, this is the guy right there. Yeah. 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 So who would you recommend? I love mm. the blend of humor that mm. you bring to very serious things. So who are you recommending? Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Because I, I do look to you know, for me, what draws me to a, 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 any writer is their voice like that. If you know, like, do complex things, like humor and seriousness at the same time, or mm -hmm. you know, uh, sort of you know, dark comedy is my, my sweet spot. I mean, I love you know, um, Don Winslow does that I think pretty pretty brilliantly. You know, um, uh, Charlie Houston. I, he has a new one coming out, by the way. Yeah, yeah Mr. Houston, yeah, new new novel this this spring, I believe. So, you know, it, I, I'm, I know whenever you read a book, it's like I'm, I remember you know, it, it, it's almost like catching a cold. It's like, oh my God, I want more of this. You know, if I want you know, I need I need more of this disease in me. <laughs> this sort of weird voice. Um, I go back to also. I looked for um, sort of un, unheralded writers. Writers have been, been big at one point, but have forgotten. Uh, one of the most powerful books I've been talking about recently is um, Newton Thornburg. You ever hear of uh, that writer? He wrote um, the most famous Cutter book and Bone. Cutter and Bone, made in Cutter's Way, starring Jeff Bridges and John Hurd. He wrote a book though called To Die in California. It's the most powerful book about grief I've ever read. It's I mean, it's, a re it's a revenge story, kind of. It's Midwest farmer. His son goes off to Santa Barbara and dies in mysterious circumstances, and he goes out, you know, fish out of water to figure it out. But again, it's like th just, the, just the way he describes this father, and it's genuine. It feels real. It's not like hokey, I'm going to – it's not, like, you know, Liam Neeson and Taken, you know, I'm going to find you and I'll hurt you. That's not the point of the book, you know. It's more – it's much more complex and sad in a weird way. So that – I'm trying to bring that back into print if I, if I can. <laughs> you know, it's, it's out there. Uh, you can find it on, you know, on e-books. But I think certain writers, you, you sort of have their moment, and they're kind of forgotten unless we talk about them. And that's, I think, part of our mission as dorks, to talk about, you know, these forgotten writers. Yes. And your background, I think, is really fascinating. You loved books. You loved writing. But tell us about your, your first career. My first career, hitman? You mean? Oh no, music. You're saying, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I well, oh geez, that's right. We, we did discuss this, didn't we? Oh, of course, it's going to come up. I, um, my father played in a bar band, and when I was ten, he needed a keyboard player, so he taught me some chord changes. Uh, so I found myself in these dive bars, in um, with an neighborhood called K and A in Philadelphia. I know Jeannie knows where K and A is. Um, K and A is like uh, basically you know where Rocky, where Rocky was filmed, like those trash fires under the L. That's kind of Kensington and Allegheny. That's kind of the rough neighborhood. And it was a rough neighborhood, let me tell you. Um, and I learned a lot as a 10-year-old, um, you know, playing in those bars, eyes wide open. And I think um, being around adults uh, from a young age definitely warped me. That, those kind of adults, you know, you kind of just watching things, you know. I was very much a curious kid. So growing up in, like, bars like that was, uh, yeah, weird. Yeah, it was like, I was like a Catholic schoolboy by day and a barroom piano player by night, uh, which is a bizarre, you know, I don't, I don't think I really appreciate how much that warped me <laughs> until I talk about it. 
I love that so much because when I was 16, I was in bars a lot. As I was a ringer for movie trivia. And okay. so there was barroom movie trivia. I was friends with a bunch of local reporters who were a couple of years older than me, grew up uh, friends with my brothers. And so they would call. This was the 90s. So we didn't, they didn't have cell phones. They would go over to this pay phone <laughs> by the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And on Friday nights, they would call and ask me random questions. My dad's like, who is calling you? It sounds <laughs> like they're from a bar. And <laughs> so I told him who it was said i don't think they're gonna card you they don't card girls go so i went and i made more money that summer (laughs) doing like bar trivia like posing as the girlfriend of whoever was in the group wow at age 16 amazing really so that set the seed huh for what was i know so by 16 you already had amassed this body of film knowledge already yes that's incredible yeah wow so what i'm saying is i love that yeah. Idea. Yes. And the one who got me in the most is now a Catholic priest. So I'm saying <laughs> there's something about this Catholic. Oh uh, yeah. Thing going that, seriously, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my my first uh, pieces of fiction. Funny you bring this up. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, in eighth grade. I would I would write, you know, you know, how you, it, it teaches us assign you spelling words. Like you use this word in a sentence. So I would. I, I was that seemed boring to me. So I would write a little short story, a little horror story involving these tw- ten vocabulary, tw- you know, twenty vocabulary words about an axe murderer. And uh, my teacher was a Salesian nun, a sister. And instead of being horrified and calling for the exorcist, she actually encouraged me. Like, oh, do that again next week. Let's, let's see the next chapter. I wrote like eight or nine chapters of these things. And by the – and by yeah, well, amazing or uh, – yeah, it was amazing actually. I'm not going to own this one. It was amazing having someone encourage you at a young age to like, you know, do this kind of thing. I remember by the end of the series I wrote, um, I gave a little pop quiz to my teacher saying, okay, this killer, should uh, this killer go free, escape? be arrested and serve time in prison, or C, um, be executed by the c- police in a brutal shootout. And guess what she chose? Guess what option? C. C, of course. You this did like a choose your own adventure. I kind of did, yeah, yeah. And that's and centered yeah. to confession, right? Yes. Um, and the funny thing is, um, this, this teacher, uh, she left the sisterhood. Not my fault. I'm telling you, that's not my, I didn't, I didn't do that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, but we're friends on Facebook, and she may be watching. Hi. Sister Marianne. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll see. Patrick, were you in bars when you were a teenager? She yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. A little, a little bit. Um, <laughs> it was just a phase, though. Yeah. No, no, a little the bit. Phase. Yeah, I met, we'd like to go see live music a lot, and so I would do that. Yeah. Go see Dwayne. Yeah, go see Dwayne. Now, y- it's yeah. funny you mentioned the music because I wasn't aware of that, mm. and now I'm seeing more parallels with Jack. Uh, yeah. For sure. Let's talk about let's talk about some of the the players in this book, our yeah. ensemble, yeah. which is a really one. Didn't you think, Jen, a wonderful kind of group of uh, of oddballs and misfits? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's I guess there's five main characters. There's of course the California Bear, who is our serial killer. He's always fun to write. Um, and then Jack is like the there's a father and daughter dynamic. Uh, and Jack, he's a former piano player. You know, that's a, that's a jazz player, and that was my. That was my thing. I was I played my high school jazz band. That's how I met my wife, you know, playing in the in the jazz band. So that was always yeah, music. What was, did she play? Um, she was our chaperone. She showed us around. Yeah, yeah. Is, we we toured like the state. We I was in Philadelphia. She was in Wilkesbury, like near Scranton, up upstate. So it was an exotic trip to go from Philadelphia to like wow, we're out in the sticks, you know. You married your chaperone? Kinda, There's yeah. There's a story there. Well, we were, pen, we were pen pals for years before that happened, so it was all very innocent. It was all, it was very innocent. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, what's the, oh, oh, so p- jazz, like that to me is, 
the coolest job you can have, a jazz piano player. So that's Jack's background. His daughter, Matilda, you know, I think inherited some of his weirdness, you know, and um, she's known as the girl detective, and she's kind of, you know, 14 on going on, 14 going on 50 as far as her, her sleuthing skills, and um, again, inspired by my daughter. Uh, you know, I kind of want to channel her spirit a bit. And then there's um, a, a former cop named Hightower, who is one of my favorite ca kind of characters to write because there's just a glorious fuck-up. You know, there's just, there's just chaos. They're chaos in human form. And there's so much fun. People ask me why. I, uh, the, four, the five characters, only four of them have viewpoints, you know, in the book. I never go into Hightower's brain because I don't want to go near it. I'm, I'm not sure what's in there, and I'm afraid of it, you know. So, That's right. There right? is no There's no Hightower oh, thing. Because, um, again, he's like he's chaos personified. And they're fun to write, you know, those kind of characters. So. Very unpleasant person. He thinks he's a laugh. That's the thing. He I thinks he's yeah. great. <laughs> Not a lot of self-awareness with high No, no. Oh, strip clubs after the children's hospital. And also real, by the way. There's a, there's a strip club two blocks from children's hospital. In case you're there, you know, want to. Wow. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> no. no, they're nowhere far. So, so yeah. As far as California goes, he just wrote a really cool article for Crime Reads mm -hmm. on California Hangout Movies, which might be the topic of our podcast, uh, an episode that we're going to do. So I, of course, am a huge movie fan. We like a lot of the same stuff, but why don't you recommend a playlist of great movies that oh. might have either inspired this or just some of your faves? Yeah, I mean, the, I wrote the yeah, essay called, you know, I call it the, the California, it's L.A. hang film. And by hang film, it's like you want to hang out with the characters more than, like, follow the plot necessarily. You know, the plot's there. It's in the background. It's fun. But it's more like just interesting people. Um, my favorite one of the bunch was um, a movie called Cisco Pike. Uh, you ever see Cisco Pike, anybody? It's, okay, yeah, of course you have. I, that's, that's a, that's a, you're a ringer. I, I, of course you've seen all these. Uh, but it stars Chris Christofferson. One of his earliest roles, if not his first film role, maybe. He plays like a, a former musician. Again, this is my, my catnip. Um, who was busted by Gene Hackman for dealing pot. And, uh, and after, you know, Christofferson's out of, out, out of prison, Gene Hackman's character comes into a lot of pot he wants to sell, you know. And he makes his former, you know, his former guy sell it for him. So that's, uh, that, that plot doesn't even matter. It's more you're hanging out with Chris, Chris, Christofferson, you know, out in L.A. In 1972 L.A., which to me is, you know, that's the year I was born. I'm just fascinated by the whole time capsule of it all. I mean, I, I'm gonna, if I go back in time, I wouldn't maybe not kill Hitler. I'll go back and hang out with Christofferson and the gang in 72, right? I mean, that, that's just me. I probably should do something else important in history, but that's, that's what I would do. And in the credits, it's H.D. Stanton. Oh, that's right. That <laughs> that's kind of so great. Much. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like Larry Fishburne when you see one of those old credits. Yes. I know who that is. <laughs> he was in MASH, wasn't he? Larry Fishburne? Uh, oh, Apocalypse Now he was in. You thinking of, he's in MASH too? Larry Fishburne? Oh my god, I had no idea. We stumped Jen? <laughs> Damn, okay. Wow, yeah. But Cisco Pike also has uh, Karen Black, the lovely Karen Black. She's awesome. Um, and, but Gene Hackman, I'm a huge Hackman fan. I, I watch Gene Hackman in anything. I mean, that's just, he's Night God. moves? Night moves. Another one from the list, Night yeah. moves. Glorious. Um, Post-coital fondue. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love that? Yeah. Exactly. And I keep thinking that's like, wow, that's Webster's mom having fondue with Gene. Remember Webster, that show? It's like, it's, it's, that's her. It's Webster's mom having fondue with Gene Hackman in the that's 70s. That's one does. That's one does. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, it's, it all started when I was, I, I was not living in California, not living in L.A. I want to have a cheap vacation. So the best cheap vacation is a movie or a book. So 
that's kind of how this list. I've been, you know, gathering these films for years, and it was fun to write about, and that inspired this book because it is not. I mean, it's not a proper hang film. There's a plot taken away, but I had a lot of fun hanging with the characters. You know, watching them bounce off each other and see. You know, it, to me, the dynamic of Jack and Hightower it, to me is interesting because imagine someone like does you a huge, like saves your life, pulls you out from a disaster, and you're indebted to this person. What if that person's an asshole? You're kind of stuck, right? I mean, what, what do you do? That's kind of a fun thing. You can't quite push them away, but you have to have, you know, but it's that weird push and pull, and that, that stuff, you know, again, fascinates me. I got a quick question for you. What, yeah. why would, why did Jack cop to it when he got out of prison? Why did he admit to Hightower, I did it? What? Good question. I think uh, deep down, he's a, um, he's an honest guy. He didn't want it hanging over his head that, like, I'm gonna, I, he didn't want to lie to this person who had saved him, even though this guy is chaos. And he's going to use it against him, of course. Yeah, I just, you know, it, it's, it's just this confession of the soul. Like, I, I, this, I, I can't I have to unburden myself of this, you know? I mean, he just was, he wants very badly to be with his daughter, but he also doesn't want to lie about it. So, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think that's the first person to ask that, why he felt compelled to tell the truth. But. And I also like the detail about how, I think it was the uncle, there's some some fun little digs about uh, <laughs> about Hollywood and yeah. the uncle bought a bunch of uh, of classic novels, you know Agatha Christie and Conan Doyle, right. because they were in the public domain, or yeah. he was thinking they would, and he was gonna yeah. steal the story for a screenplay or something. Those details really rang true. Well, you know, every every kind of like you know villain or or you know weird character, it's a piece of me, honestly. I mean, the guy's name is Lewis. My middle name is Lewis. That's a dig at me. It's a, it's more like poking fun of the worst tendencies of myself. Like that that's that's me in that book. So that's um, I always do that. I mean, I think you know characters ultimately are are the writer. You have to little, if you give them a little piece of your DNA somehow, you know. And then the bad guys, or the you know, the odd characters, are the parts of yourself that you wish didn't exist, perhaps. But might as well write about them, you know, and deal with them. Are you a pantser or a plotter? And Ooh. my question is the Nutter Butters. <laughs> like, were you putting that seed in there right away, or did you know why you were bringing it up? And then later, or is it just oh, a happy oh, oh, accident? Oh, well, I can't, I want to spoil things, but, no, no, no. but it was happy accident. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to be, I'm like, I wanted to, the whole opening chapter is you, you're following this killer around his garage, basically, and he's craving a sugar fix, you know, and. I always thought that you know, we watch these true crime shows, and you see, like, la years later, the killer is like, you know, an anonymous suburban nobody. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what a weird juxtaposition between, like, the everyday suburban details with the horrific things they've done. Like, it's just, I think it was, like, just fascinating, like, or horrific, you know. Um, so, the, yeah, the cookie thing, I love Nutter Butters, honestly. So, that was, you know, me probably hungry for one uh, and that. But it did, yeah, again, food was like a. Writers are the last to know why we're writing certain things. I'm serious. Like, those themes, like, kind of bubble up, and that was one of them. As far as pants versus pantser versus plotter, mm -hmm. I've done both. This was definitely a, by the seat of my, I was writing in a, in a hospital room, you know, just winging it and seeing where it, where it would take me. I had a vague idea about where it would kind of go, but not, but not really. And I ended up, you know, it took some interesting turns for me. And that's fun when I can sort of follow, wow, this is interesting. And... I sort of had a, the back half of the book plotted to a certain degree, and then I realized, wait, if I have this one thing happen in the middle, I have to get rid of all of that, <laughs> all the work I've done. But you know what? It'll, it'll be worth it. And to me, it was worth it. I will happily toss almost entire book away if I have a better idea, which is not smart commercially. That's not a wise move on my part, but yeah. 
I can't remember yeah. which author it was that said they love to write themselves into a jam. Yes. And then you have to just think to yourself, well, how do I get out of that one? And boy, does he write himself into a jam in the <laughs> middle of this thing. I did not see uh, the twists coming. Oh, there I'm are glad. several twists coming. Um, Thank you. It's very brilliant. Going back to the Nutter Butter, because <laughs> how can we not? Um, I love this idea that, you know, he's a serial killer, but his whole thing is good god i hope my wife doesn't know how many cookies i'm eating out of this thing because i hid them right. it's a, yeah yeah and he's like what if i what if i, po I poison the uh, nutter butter and yes. kill the wife who right. thinks she yeah yeah oh yeah. i think thank you um <laughs> yeah something you said actually just sparked something um oh wait what was it um before the nutter butters you had something you said that Writing yourself in oh yeah that i mean yeah. I actually honestly my my if i have a, a, a secret sauce technique I want to live there, writing myself into corners. That's the most exciting because if I if I know what's going to happen, so will the reader. I think if it's too like you know too pat, if I think in a situation where I don't really don't know how to get out of the, out of it, that is my sweet spot. I love that. That is like I'm honestly happiest when I'm like oh god, I just screwed myself. What now? Because <laughs> you're forced to invent. You're, for, you're forced to like really think creatively. Um, I, every book I try to do something where I don't do something. You know, for instance. I had one book where I, I said, all right, no guns. Guns are, you know, every, every mystery novel has gun in it. How about no guns? What, what do you do then? One book was no profanity, which is really fucking hard, let me tell you. Um, which book was that? <laughs> that, was, uh, that was, I think it was Severance Package because it was like in the office setting. I thought no one, no one really curses in the office. Or I, I, my, my, my imagination was like they, they wouldn't curse, you know, because of the corporate environment. I think that was that one. Um, yeah, some of the, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've always given myself sort of like creative handcuffs. Just to keep it interesting, like, hey, what do you do? Like, you've always leaned on this. Oh, Wheelman was like, what if the lead character couldn't talk? Because I love dialogue. That was so great. Well, yeah. thank you. Uh, yeah, I was, I was like, I, what do you do? You know, I, I, you know it, it forces you to show your character through other, you know, uh, learn about them through other ways. Behavior, you know, action, not, you know, I love dialogue. Dialogue is awesome. Elmer Leonard is a master dialogue. I mean, that's, that's the most fun thing to write. So what if you can't do it? You know, that's so fun. Matilda, Matilda Queen. Um, what a great, great name. Um, Thank you. We were talking before we got started, and I was just saying, expressing my admiration for, I mean, for me, the magic of the book is clearly the, the scenes with Matilda and her father, and, uh, and just what an incredible spirit she is on the page, you know? I mean, she's, she's yeah. really funny. She's w wise, you know? And she's, she's often the adult, yeah. the only adult in the room, yeah. you know? Um, so just beautiful job. No, thank you. I, and I, yeah. I really can't take credit for her because really I just channeled my daughter, honestly. <laughs> she was that funny, that smart, that weird, you know. I mean, she, you know, I walk in the hospital and say, hey, Padre, what's up? It just, we had this thing, you know. Was and that was the father and the daughter? Oh, yeah. She's always, that's why it's dedicated to the daughter. It was always that, you know, we had a banter thing, you know, and it's that, yeah, she's the daughter. I only have one, you know, so that's, you know. Can you speak also to the whole citizen sleuth phenomenon? That uh, you know all these all these yeah. amateur sleuths you know who yeah. are in some ways helping some ways mm -hmm. you know I, to me it's it, yeah it's like it's double-edged sword it's the more minds on something the better to catch somebody I mean that's kind of cool but then again it can be the dark side of that is when uh, some people decide facts add up and they don't really do that in real life and they go after somebody who's not guilty of a horrible crime so it's like that crowd you know. And, Social media has a wonderful, you know, it can be wonderful and powerful, but it can also be hard and hellish because 
you decide someone's today's bad guy, that, that makes your life hell. You know, all of a sudden, like, oh, we decide you're the bad guy today, and it's whoa, it's just you know, the old villagers with you know torches and pitchforks, <laughs> you know, mentality. That's hard. So it, again. Everything has the potential to be great or really awful. And like that's the Cecil, <laughs> did you see the Cecil Hotel oh, yes. documentary? Yeah. And they ruined that poor, that poor Mexican he, death metal guy. Yeah. And you really yeah. felt sorry for him. Oh yeah, yeah. great documentary. In fact, I, I was on. Uh, people quoting that in that um, that documentary was Kim and Kim and Richard, who do this great tour called Esoteric. It's a great literary true crime tour of L.A. It's, if you're in L.A., take that tour. They do a bunch of them, you know, all throughout the year. They're great. And they did a, a deep dive in Hotel Cecil, you know, um, years ago on a bus tour. It's fascinating, you know. Well, I actually, well, I like their approach. This is, you know, Kim Cooper and Richard Shave, they do, you know, esoteric. They do, like, they'll do a Black Dahlia, for instance, tour, which, you know, everyone knows the Black Dahlia story. They don't dwell on the, yeah, they'll tell what happened. You know, it's, it's horrible. But they also focus on the victim as a, a real-life person, a human being. You know, and that's their viewpoint, not the, the you know, the lurid details. They want to teach out. Oh, Elizabeth Short, that was her name. Here's where her hopes were. Here's what she, why she was doing what she did. You know, and it's like after a while, it, it becomes all the more tragic because, yeah, this is a human being that we're talking about. Not, you know, not, a fetish, not a, yeah, not object. exactly, not a, a true crime totem of, like, you know, depraved maniacs. That's, that to me is how I, I like to approach true crime, if, you know, yeah. at least I, I f it feels better to do that. I don't That's know. my issue with true crime is I think, you know, it's usually yeah. dead women. And so it's how do you walk that line and honor the person for sure. Yeah. But Dwayne, you brought up Wheelman, and I have to <laughs> say that you have the most badass bio in this book. <laughs> it says a receipt for this here's a stick up. Dwayne's nonfiction book on American bank robbery was found in the getaway car of a San Francisco bandit who'd hit at least 30 California banks. So how can we get this book? I gotta track this one. That is now. true. That's <laughs> amazing. That's due for a reprint. I did this like it was, you know, I wrote it pretty fast. It was one of those quickie books like a history of American bank robbery. It was it was so much fun, um, and that actually led to the, the Wheelman in the novel. I mean, I wrote I wrote an introduction to this a collection of like famous bank robbers, their techniques. It was just great fun to research. But the introduction, I thought, okay, what can I do? I decided to case my own bank in downtown Philadelphia, and I had a really good plan too. It was good. This getaway plan was awesome. I thought either I'm going to do it or I'm going to like write about it. So I chose to do it, and no one caught me. No, I, I wrote about it. I, I, I wrote that's the plot of Wheelman, this getaway. Um, always, I, I guess I don't appreciate how much like nonfiction, the real, the real world influences what I do. It's almost like it's vital for me. I can't just make something up uh, you know, thin air. It always the lo a location, a real story, real people. That's for me. That's it's the the building blocks of what I do. Was Al Nussbaum part of that book? Um, yes. Oh, yeah. In fact, I, you know, Al, uh, he, no, a writer, Al, 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 Al Nussbaum was a... Nussbaum um, and Dan J. Marlowe. Yeah, we're yeah. writing partners. I've, I met Al's... Um, I, I'm friends with Al's daughter, um, Allison. Yeah, I met her years ago at a BoucherCon. So I think she had read what I had written about her father. Um, now, and she was, we just you know, started talking. Um, fascinating. Uh, I do love that. You know, you know the whole story about Al Nussbaum and uh, Dan, Dan Marlowe was a longtime mystery novelist amazing book called The Name of the Game is Death. This really great, you know, bank robbery book. Starts in Phoenix. Starts in Phoenix. That's right. That's right. I knew I liked it for a reason. Um, it was, um, yeah, so it's this great book. Dan, though, had a weird, tragic life where at one point, I think he had a stroke and lost his memory or something happened. Yeah, he had amnesia. Amnesia. Forgot his whole 
career. Everything. And his buddy, and in fact, you know, and Al, Al, <laughs> sorry, long story, but long story short, Al was an active, active bank robber. I think he actually called Dan Marlowe for tips or something. Almost like he read the book, named the game as death, was a fan, and they were talking a little bit. So years later, Al's out of prison. He uh, becomes pals in real life with Dan. They're in a, you know, this sort of crash pad in Encino, living in L.A. somewhere. And Dan's helping Al become a writer. Dan loses his memory. Al takes care of Dan. Like, and kind of nurses him through all this. You know, it's a great story. It would have been a great Walter Matthau, uh, Jack Lemmon movie back in the day. You know, like, I don't know who would play who, but it's a great buddy, you know, buddy, buddy writer story, which you don't really see very often. Anyway, rabbit holes, I apologize. That's way off topic, but this is where my brain goes, right? This is kind of what you, you say something, it's like, oh, I'm chasing a rabbit down the, you know. How about, how about uh, Gene Genie, which is a wonderful oh. name, the Gene Genie. Uh, well, my, my friend... Uh, uh, well, you know, I, I did. My friend from college, uh, we're, God, we met freshman year in 1989. My friend Jeannie's here in the, in the audience, lives, lives nearby. Um, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, I think I chose that name in honor of you, of course, but, uh, but, but also, um, no, the, 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 the Bowie song, you know, Gene Genie. It's just sort of that, it was a kind of a catchy thing. And I wanted um, to have Hightower some redemption. He had to have a cool wife, you know. Actually, the whole plot of this thing is what, it starts out as a, you think it's a buddy comedy, like a buddy cop thing, you know, two knuckleheads trying to do something. And you always, the quirky characters are always the side characters, like, oh, the, the, the smart kid, the, uh, the brainy genealogist. I wanted the book to sort of progress, and it flips, whereas those quirky side characters are the main heroes. And the two dipshits we met originally, they're not, you know, they're not the heroes. They're just like, they're the comic relief, <laughs> essentially, kind of, kind of. Hightower at least is. So, I, you know, I, I try to play against type whenever I can and just pervert the usual Familial DNA is such a huge oh, thing in yeah. crime investigations now. Yeah. Kind of scary, yeah. That, you know, you really can't hide anymore. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> and I love that, obviously, it's named after Jeannie. And we have a mutual friend named Jed Ayers, who I know is watching. Yes. Hello, Jed. Hey, Jed. And uh, Dwayne wrote Jed into a book. A you pointed that out. That's right. Yeah, Jed just all of a sudden texted me like, "I am immortalized," <laughs> and uh, this amazing passage about. And you said you put him through quite a ringer. So my question is, has anyone in your family or circle of friends been like, "You used my name wrong"? Um, I, I just now I, I did a, a book with James Patterson called "Lion and Lamb." Came out last summer, and I used the name of a, a high school buddy and uh, who's actually is a cop in real life. Ooh. I just I just name checked him. And oh, there, there it is. And um, I, I, um, he, uh, Facebook messaged me the other day and said, "You gave me a demotion. What's, what's the deal, man?" Like, he, was, he was, he was not, he was joking about it. And I think he's joking about. It. Sorry, Brian, if you weren't joking about it. But um, I, I, I do, you know, I, I like to use friends or you know, I collect names. So if you have an interesting or quirky name, I will, you know, take it and use it someplace. And hopefully, I get permission before I use your name if you're, you know, a scumbag or something or you know, off, you know, off the charts. I have had to clear up things with people, you know. Uh, there's, a, there's a character, this actually, this character in this book who's uh, a really sweet guy. He's a former librarian. His friends decided to like, you know, give him a, a retirement present, and they, he asked me would I name a character after him. I'm like, happily, a librarian, sure. And I, and I had to say, David, I'm going to warn you, by the way, uh, <laughs> this guy, not a good guy. So are you cool with that? Like, he's like, go for it. I don't care. Some people love it. They don't care what you do to them. So I, I try to ask permission for the really egregious cases. So avoid me as a friend if you don't want to be, you know, immortalized. Isn't that a writer thing, though? If you meet a writer, you're going to end up in their books, like a conversation you have. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, famously, John Cassavetes, like Jenna Rollins, anything I said wound up in a script. He would <laughs> record her just talking on the phone. So you're not that wow. far. But, I don't uh, do that, but yeah. No, yeah. but it's, you know, it's a little bit of a, yeah, it's yeah. a writer thing. You also, it's give and take. I have a good friend, uh, Scottish writer, Alan Guthrie. I've been in his books in very unflattering ways. Ooh. Things that I, you know, I, but it's, it's from love, so I forgive him. It's okay. Oh, should we open it up to some questions from you guys? Yeah. I was afraid this would happen. <laughs> Christina. Yeah, the question is, uh, if, uh, it's, you know, how am I different as a writer? Uh, and that's a great question because that's what I'm thinking about a lot. Um, I mean, I've had, you know, between books, it's been seven years, and a lot's happened in those seven years. You know, I think I'm a very different writer. I'm still me. I, th I think the, the essentials are important. They're, they're still there. But, like, yeah, I'm definitely interested in different things. Um, I think I, I did an event the other night when a, a friend of mine said, you like, you, you, your books were like a, tw a giddy 12-year-old. You're writing, like, ooh, this would be fun, cool. Now I'm more of a wise and uh, seasoned 14-year-old, I think, writing these books. Um, I, yeah, I think I pay attention more to and I care more about character, you know, and how people's brains tick now. Whereas before, I was more interested in, like, putting, putting people through the worst days of their lives. You know, now it's more – actually, the, the secret of this book is I, – I, I won't say what it is because it spoils things, but, like, I kind of avoid something that most books do. And um, that, to me, was out of a – I don't know, I, I mean, maturity? I don't know. I, I kind of – I don't want – so much carnage. Yeah, I kind of I'm 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 on a carnage diet. I think we've had enough carnage. I think we want you know a little bit of peace. So, uh, have I changed? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think as you get older, you learn your skill set too. You know, and and um, things you feel comfortable doing. I want to push past those things and try to do things I can't do very well. You know, um, makes sense at all? I don't know. I'm always trying to challenge myself and write a different book every time. I never want to write the same book over and over again. So, yeah. Well, thank you for the question. Speaking Jeannie. Of yeah. I'm sure the group would love to hear about the story inspired by St. Catherine's Fire Day. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well, uh, in our college dorm room, uh, we used to have, you know, it's just like three-story, you know, classic college dorm. And some Weisenheimers used to, like, pull the fire alarm, you know, like at, you know, 2 in the morning, right? This happens all the time. So uh, after a while, it happened all the time, you know, we got really, so I decided to write a, a short story. No one could figure who did it. So I wrote a short story where basically it's a revenge story where the, the, the floor figures out who did it. They get them really drunk and then they set them on fire. Uh, <laughs> so, and my science is wonky here because I think if you drink a lot, you're not really flammable more than you are. Otherwise, I, th I thought you were, you know. Oh, that's right. They did like, they, you know, it, it was a whole thing. I, I had some murky, I, I just made shit up. But I actually taped it to my, my dorm room w door. And I was hoping that the people you know, who, who were doing it would read it and feel really bad about themselves, you know, and, and, and fear me. So I, 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 I still have that story in my files. And when I peeled it off the door, some of the paint is still on the story. And they, you know, it's, 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 you know, edition of one, the story. <laughs> never, been, never seen a light of day. And it's awful. So I wouldn't, it's not going to be printed anytime soon, but. That's amazing. I was reading an Thank interview you. <laughs> with you uh, recently where it said kind of the impetus for you to write in your 20s was you had written a story for your friend's birthday. Yeah. 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 It was actually high school, actually. It was, uh, I was, it was for his birthday. I was high school. I wrote, you know, a story 
because I had no money. I was broke. I had no money to buy a gift. So I you know, decided, I'll write him a horror story and with a twist ending. And the good friend that I am, I made him read it in front of me the next day on his birthday. So this poor guy, you know, sitting there, wants to just hang out and enjoy his birthday. No, he's reading my stupid story. But by the end of it, he reached the twist ending. He went, oh, it, it hit him. It got him. And that, that feeling was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to do that to people all the time. What was the story like? It was about basically a latchkey kid who's chased by demonic teenagers, you know. <laughs> and it's nothing. And I, I was very much inspired by very much the Lost Boys and very much Stephen King's uh, Sometimes They Come Back. Like, that's very much whatever I was reading at the time, Gorgion, it spat out my brain into a story that was original. I mean, we all, we all do that, right? We all you know, eat these things and absorb them until we learn our own, our own, you know, passions. Yeah, we just shamelessly steal and <laughs> write these stories and hope they work. Yeah. It seems to me that there's a connection between um, this this book and uh, Canary mm -hmm. and Revolver, even you know, yeah. with these these really strong female kind of leads. Yeah, that's. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you, Jeannie. <laughs> um, that's. I call this I call this one that you know the, those three books my daughter trilogy because it is you know Canary is inspired by Evie. You know, I imagined her when she was I wrote it when she was ten, and I thought, well, she's in college and she was forced to become a CI for some dumb reason, how would she respond to it? And so that became like, okay, what if, that what if game. Revolver, I imagine sort of a character like her in her 20s, kind of a burnout, you know, like trying to figure her shit out. And what would it be like to sort of uh, solve a family mystery? Because like, so that was again, and this obviously is her. So it's like, yeah, it is like three daughters. My dream is someday to actually have those three different characters team up in a book. Called like daughters or something. I don't know. Or, or you know, they're badass daughters. I'll find a better title to become to come. But I thought it'd be fun to have those three very different characters team up and you know. Could you see a, a YA, uh, Matilda Queen girl detective? I don't think so. Because you know what? I don't think she's YA. I think she's already she's, in, in, in an right. adult she's world, right? I think she's that, that would bore her. I think. No, no offense to you. I just think <laughs> YA is great. It's just she's already in the adult world. That's yeah, she's like you know again 15 going on 50 in her in her, in her brain. Great question. Um, uh, Mike asked about you know how about comic book writing, how it's different from prose fiction. I've learned that you know in comics, I am not the the, the center of attention. The artist is the star. Like you know, I like it to like the artist. Comic book artists are Prince. I'm Doctor Funk in the back, you know, playing keyboards. No one notices Doctor Funk. They know it's Prince because Prince is awesome. You know, so the artist, you know, so your your scripts are in service of really cool art and visual storytelling. You know, and yeah, there's dialogue. It, it's it, you're telling a story, but I had to learn to sort of write visually, more importantly, kind of translate what was in my head to an artist, and hopefully they get excited by that and then bring their own stuff to it. Like, you don't want to, for me at least, I want to over-explain or under-explain, over-describe or under-describe. It's like you want to you know, give enough to go, go on, what they, you know, they see what you're thinking of, and then they can take it and you know, be a co-writer, be a co-creator in, in, in that way. So that was a, uh, it took a while to learn that, how to do that, you know, how to really talk to an artist. And I think as a result, my prose became a little more visually oriented. I try to think about, you know, camera angles in a weird way or like or just, you know, describing things simply but effectively, you know, the telling detail. You know, that's the elusive thing. Um, I know Elmer Leonard is famous for saying, but no, don't describe the weather. And, that. and he's right, but sometimes the weather's cool. Sometimes the weather sets the stage and it's atmospheric and, you know, weather affects us all like the goddamn rain. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So yeah, it's it was it really worked kind of. It's been uh, it was inspirational. I mean, I hope was that like comics fans would find the mystery novels, the crime novels, and vice versa. I'm not sure that happens. I, I don't know. Some people are just swear off, you know, comics. They don't want to, can't do them, uh, and vice versa. Some people don't want to read books, you know, or prose prose novels. So uh, the hope was that I think the spectrum for me actually is like there's a, as far as like reader interaction. Let's say you know. Movies, it's like the most passive for a reader. You, you, you wash over you. You can watch, you know, a grindhouse movie. It's just happening. You absorb it. You know, a comic is like a weird middle ground where you're you're actually bringing yourself to that. The things between panels, you're, the reader is animating it themselves. It's like you're kind of creating a movie in your mind. With prose, you're doing a lot more of the work. You know, the reader is actually kind of like almost a collaborator. The these little weird symbols on the page come to life in your brain, and if it's done well, you see a movie or you see something going on. So that's how I sort of see the spectrum. How does that how does that market work? I mean, because it is kind of a you know nothing about it. Comics. And yeah, both of you guys can weigh in. I mean, yeah, is it? <laughs> are you coming up with uh, original ideas, or are you hired by, you know, write me a a new story featuring this this world or this character? I first started. I wrote for Marvel, so it was their characters and like, hey. Give us a Wolverine story, you know, and like, well, what kind of story? He's Wolverine. Tell a story. About it's like, it's, it's like this. Go, go, do it, you know, and push them, you know, push the characters to the limits. Um, recently, I've done actually more, more creator-owned stuff. I'm working for Storm King Comics, which is um, Sandy King Carpenter. Her husband's John Carpenter. It's their comics company. So I've done, um, you know, recently like an original graphic novel I just wrote last year for them, and that was all, you know, came to no existing characters, just uh, a fun murder mystery I thought they'd get a kick out of, you know. And it's really fun writing for someone who you want to make them laugh or, you know, or, or if you actually make John Carpenter laugh, that's makes me, I can, that makes my day. It's like, or make him, make him like, go, oh, that's not, that's not bad, you know. He's a hard critic. He's, he's, he's seen it all. He's done it all. So, and Sandy, he's, she's even tougher, I think. <laughs> she's the, I, and she, it's really great to have that kind, of, that kind of feedback of like, oh, yeah, go for, go for that. That's kind of cool, that encouragement. Again, it's the eighth grade nun effect, right? <laughs> if you encourage me, I'll keep writing this shit. So, what what are you working on now? What do you have have going? Um, Any TV stuff, by the way? Um, possibly. I can't. It's the, we had the writer's strike last year, so it's like there's I, I'm dying. There's news ish. I can't say it right now because that's like you know that's not. That always sounds so. I cool. know all the authors. Well, I do have something, but I <laughs> can't really discuss it. Right no, I, but that sounds yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty awful, isn't it? Um, when writers do that. Um, but no, I'm I'm working on a the nonfiction book I mentioned. That's been a long term project. I started writing last year a, a crime novel in, in a notebook, in a legal pad, longhand, oh, wow. just to like you know uh, tune out the noise of social media, uh, the online, everything. Just like and that's it was really liberating to be like you know just me a pen and see where it goes by the seat of my pants. That's been fun. Did you finish it, or are you still working on it? It's still working on it. on it, yeah. I'm still working on it. It's I write slow, <laughs> as it turns out. Are you one of those people who writes every day, or do you give yourself a break? Do you have a I try to. You know, like, I'm being, actually being on tour is that I've not written every day because it's just, you know, yeah. traveling and things. Um, but I'm, I'm always – I actually I count thinking as work. I, I really do. I, I'm always thinking about, you know, fitting things together. And uh, so any dull hours, I'm never really not working. It's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> it's a job requirement. Though. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Yes. When you said you uh, started writing five years ago, did you were you taking any inspiration from Shakespeare during that time? No. Uh, if, it's funny. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember why I, I decided to do it. Like it was. I, I do actually. The story kind of 
partly involves a, a, a journal. So I, I'll, I'll just do it longhand and see where it goes and see it, make, it kind of capture the rhythms of writing in a journal. And it kind of took over then. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this makes sense. So I, it wasn't a social media break, but I think after a while, like you, you're tempted to like, you know, when you're writing something on a computer, oh, that piece of research, I'll jump online. And an hour later, you're like, you've, you've just wasted, you know, an hour looking at obscure articles about nonsense. So that, that was a nice break from that part of it. Oh no, it's atrocious. I am terrified that I'm actually going to try to decipher this someday and think, what the hell is this? What did I write? You know, I, I don't, it's not good. It's atrophied over here, so I think I can read it, but. Well, most of us can type a lot faster than we can write yeah. longhand, so do you find yourself kind of thinking a little bit differently? Oh yeah, it, it forces you to slow down. I mean, as you hear, I speak like Martin Scorsese on crack. I, my, I, my brain goes, you know, a mile a minute, and, but writing longhand forces you to really just, you know, be deliberate with every word choice, you know, and I try not to, I hate scribbling out words, so I'm like, do I mean that there? Yeah, and it flows very different. Um, I, Clive Barker, one of my idols, he writes everything longhand. I was lucky enough to actually visit his house once years ago, and one of his assistants pulled out, you know those giant Rubbermaid tubs you would store, like, you know, decorations in? Pulled out this giant tub, cracked the lid, it was full of handwritten pages of, like, stories, maybe even books that had not been released yet. A treasure trove. Wow. I wanted to live in that bin and just read, but it was all longhand. I was blown away by that. Yeah. It's a little scary, though, because there's no backup. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, there's notebooks sitting in my hotel room. I'm terrified right now. It's, you know, a windstorm, a haboob may happen. Blow yeah. the pages away. Haboob. Never that, that happens out here. A heist, <laughs> like a bank robbery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I'm not saying where I'm staying right now. I'm not going to tell anybody that, so. Well, I'm interested, and then we can, we can kind of wrap it up, but I'm um, interested in your, your list of California films, and um, do you have a similar list of classic California novels? Ooh, I have an entire shelf of, like, yeah, I collect, like, my home office has a shelf of California, L.A. California novels, for sure. Um, up there, I'm trying, I'm trying to picture it in my head. Um, it's more Southern California, you know, right? So... One of my first books I read that turned me on to crime fiction was by Robert Frigno, The Horse Latitudes. This sort of noir, late, came out in 89, 90, you know? And that, I remember reading that and think, wow, I was a horror guy. I'm not sure why I, I picked it up. I thought, this looks kind of interesting, you know? And it just turned a switch on in my head, like, oh, this is like horror, but real, you know? He used to, whatever happened, do you remember him, John? Yeah. NATO? Robert Frigno? Or Frigno, or whatever? Yeah. I mean, he's... He had a, a trilogy a bunch of years ago. He just sort of, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. What happened? You know, it's, um, his stuff was really cool. He actually did a really cool set of uh, LA books. It was um, about a gossip report, gossip columnist. Remember this, these, those books? I'm blanking on the titles. Um, there's also one called The Wake Up. This kind of revenge novel was awesome and very mean spirited, which I appreciate in books. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I kind of, I do collect all these LA set books. Um, oh, one that blew me away when I first moved to town. It's, um, Oh, geez. Is it Carolyn C. or Lisa? I think Carolyn C. is the mother. She wrote a book called Golden Days, basically about a uh, kind of a, a family living in Topanga Canyon, and then the bomb drops. It's like nuclear apocalypse, and what happens afterward. I like to cheer myself up when I move somewhere, so I was like, oh, what's, what's that like? You know, a, a nuke dropping in L.A., what would that be like? But it's a great, it's fascinating. Yeah, this book. I just read uh, Gary Phillips's upcoming one. Oh, that with this the crime report, uh, crime photographer yes. in uh, early 60s. Off of One Shot Harry, yeah. Off yeah. of One Shot Harry, yeah. yeah. And this one takes place during the Watts riots. Oh, man. And uh, yeah. really great. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've loved California before, long before I, I moved there. I would read books to basically spend time there. Yeah, like Walter Mosley, you know, Chandler, of course. Anyone setting a book in L.A., um, I was going to you know, check it out. Well, and it's funny because, you know, I think, I think, Jen, you mentioned the time capsule aspect. You know, you can capture in these classic noir films and in, even in shows like Dragnet. Yeah. That's a wonderful way to see lost old L.A. Yeah. You know, all these great Bunker Hill shots that, are, that yeah. you see in the background. You know, I actually love doing during COVID. I was living in Burbank during COVID, but I couldn't go anywhere. No one else could. We were stuck. I watched old Rockford Files. It's a great time capsule of L.A. It was like seeing L.A. in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, but, you know, I'm stuck at home. So, yeah, those, even the shows, they shot everything, you know, in L.A. So it's kind of great to see. Colombo. Colombo. Amazing houses. Yeah. yeah. I fell in love with Colombo during COVID for sure. That's so funny. Yes. Yeah. That was a weird time. We haven't fully appreciated yet how much it warped us, I think, <laughs> mentally in you know, those years. But weird rabbit holes, weird, weird things. Well, Jen, what do you got going on? What are some of your uh, episodes that you've been doing? And okay. Well, season five is going to be kicking off pretty soon. And I'm very excited. I'm going to have Dwayne on. I'm going to have Patrick on as well. We're still working out uh, a topic idea. We're thinking Chandler, maybe. Oh, California that'd be cool, yeah. Films. yeah. Yeah. And uh, the first episode for the new season came out in memory of Tom, Tom Wilkinson. And we're also working on one on Francis Ford Coppola's movies in the 80s. Uh, John Cusack, uh, as a filmmaker, Duncan Birmingham is calling it quintessential Cusack. So kind of from... <laughs> like Say Anything, Grifter's Era, up through being John Malkovich. Mm. We're going to do an episode on Visconti and have a whole bunch of stuff planned. That's exciting. Yeah. That's really Bet cool. Better Off Dead. You know, he didn't choose that. Well, isn't that, <laughs> a, isn't that early? That is early, early Cusack. Cusack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The house in Better Off Dead actually used to walk by it in Burbank. It's funny, the things you see, it's like, oh, that's the Better Off Dead house. It's kind of crazy, these things you see, yeah. Anyway, great, great movie. Very cool. Well, thanks so much uh, to both of you guys, Dwayne thank you both. and Jen. I really appreciate you coming in and, yeah, thank you. and doing this. And thanks, everybody, for uh, – let's give thank them you. a nice warm welcome. Thank thanks, everybody, for watching online. We do have signed copies of Dwayne's book. Um, so anyway, thanks yeah. so much. And we'll break up and have you sign some books for us. Thank you. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.